We have been working in what's now considered the Web3 infrastructure space of the deep. I, th I think that that's the inception of the term uh, metaverse. Of that kind of service from our end computers itself and take the giant middlemen out of the picture entirely. Thank you, everyone, for joining Voices of Web3 on Voice of Crypto. We're always amazed to interact with our Web3 communities. Um, today, we have with us two really special guests. And as you guys are aware, at Voices of Web3, we get some of the top voices from the Web3 crypto metaverse blockchain space. And we're really stoked to have with us both Amy and Devon on the show uh, today. You guys have had your fair share of time in this space, I'm sure, but how exactly did you end up in this rabbit hole of Web3? Talk a little bit about yourself, your role at your current company, and maybe we'll see where things go from there. Okay, we'd be happy to. Well, just before we get started, thank you so much for having us on the show. We're really happy to be here with you today. Um, we have been working in what's now considered the Web3 infrastructure space or the D-PIN space since we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary. Since long before it had either of those two terms. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we started working on uh, initially a media distribution protocol that then became a distribution protocol for all kinds of data. And we presented that um, for the first time in... 2016, I think, 15 or 16, yeah. And then again in 2016, yeah, at the first decentralized web summit. Um, and and so, you know, it's just been something that's really, we're really passionate about because we think that this has the potential to put creators in charge of their distribution terms. Right now, you know, they are subject to the terms of all of the platforms that they use, and that's a really big concern. But it also has the potential to do all kinds of really wonderful things for the web, uh, really allow the web to reach its ultimate potential of being a free and fair marketplace for ideas. So. Yeah, a lot of people think that the biggest innovation was just micropayments, and micropayments are absolutely enormous. If it, we've, we'd had micropayments right at the beginning of the web, we wouldn't have ads and spying and stuff like that. But there's a whole bunch of other digital services that this technology can deliver that can uh, uh, decentralize all of the workings of the web, like the, the, the video transcoding that's happening in order for this call to happen, uh, the file storage where the file will ultimately be stored so that people can watch it afterwards. All those things are currently done by, say, five companies tend to be generous. And instead, the technology means we could be participating in the serving of that kind of tech of that of that kind of service from our end computers itself and take the giant middlemen out of the picture entirely. Right. It means user sovereignty. It means privacy by default. It means all of these. It means, you know, the the right to, to freedom of speech and freedom of assembly in ways that we just don't have right now online. Not to mention, one of the things that's most exciting kind of lately is the emergence of how everyone's getting excited about the emergence of AI, and for that matter, um, the metaverse, uh, one of your other interests, both of which we've people have been talking about forever. They've been major parts of sci-fi, but only recently have they been starting to get to the point where people are like, oh, wow, this is real. This is actually going to finally happen. Um, and people have concerns about both of them. On the metaverse side, there being too many metaverses and you know not really making much sense if there's too many of them. On the AI side, 
them doing, you know, it doing dangerous things, whether it's, you know, the Terminator version or just the, you know, super intelligence that manipulates us all kind of thing. I would say Deepin and Web3 in general improve both of them. They they give both of them the ability to reach their best selves, be safe, be kind of universal, yeah. most beneficial, et cetera. Absolutely. Can you also talk a little bit about your role? How did you form the firm Web3 Working Group? What was the idea behind it? And when did you guys conceive this platform or firm? Yeah, so... Um... The Web3 Working Group came from a number of infrastructure projects the getting together and just kind of talking about, you know, their projects, talking about the state of the industry, that kind of thing, and deciding, you know, that they needed to do something to advocate for the D-PIN space. This was even before the term D-PIN had really And that was part of the problem. Popular. Right. There's no way to talk about it yet. Yeah, DeFi exactly. was super popular. NFTs were super popular. But there's all this interesting tech that people were ignoring. Yes, exactly. It wasn't getting infrastructure wasn't getting the attention that it deserves because really infrastructure is going to have more of an impact on the average web user's day to day life than things like the financial services and stuff. So um, they there's a something called the web3index.org, which is a way to track the usage of some of these deep in networks and those projects were meeting. They decided to put something together. Uh, we knew some of those people and that's how we were recruited to found the organization. So this was in um, May. We officially got started in May of 2021. 2022. Um, okay. and, and kind of part of our, our, our mission was kind of threefold. One, uh, just kind of increase awareness to the general public about this sector itself, how it's kind of attached to the cryptocurrency industry, but distinct from it. Um, and also educate lawmakers because it seemed like we're entering this space where they're going to finally start passing some legislation in the United States. And they need to really understand the importance and the distinction, the distinctness mm -hmm. of this technology if they're as they go about it. Um, and kind of uh, uh, introduce Web2 developers and that kind of technology side of the audience to what this does and how it really kind of levels up what they can build. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are very actively involved in uh, also educating people about how deepen networks work, what exactly the what sort of a role they play in the larger ecosystem. How do you do it to someone that's say who's an absolute noob in the web3 space? Where would you start? We had a few of those when we started meeting with um with members of Congress and their staffs, we started hearing from them that one of the things that they most needed was like a basic series that actually gave some amount of technical details, but wasn't mired in all of the, the the very specific terminology within our industry. Because as soon as you fill something with that kind of jargon, someone's brain turns off because they're like, I'm already behind. I don't know what's going on. And so there was this hole because stuff either focused on that or it was so light, it didn't really give them an actual understanding of this stuff to where they could write laws about it and stuff like that. And so that was our opening was start from the very beginning. You know, what is the what is blockchain itself? And then what is proof of work? And then what is uh, public key cryptography? And how do you put all those things together to become Bitcoin and do it with details and use analogies rather than jargon to really help people actually understand what they were? So uh, probably 20 or so videos in a, in a basic series. And then we started getting into really the specifics of deep in projects themselves and kind of taking them apart and seeing how they work and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, that basic series is available on YouTube and on our website. It's called uh, What is Web 3? And it gets into what's wrong with Web 2, 
how, why Web3 mm -hmm. is so important, all of those kinds of fundamentals, like Devin was saying. And it does really make it approachable in a way. You know, I kind of thought about it from the perspective of what would I have wanted to watch when I first got into this and was feeling just so overwhelmed by all of the information. Uh, and so it just kind of threads those concepts together in a way that's fun and easy to understand. And now Absolutely. what we do is um, do, we have an interview series that we're doing with founders. So I speak with deep in project leads and talk about their projects and how they work and really deep dives, which I, I think is really somewhat fun. unique. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, and then we also do a series of just quick one minute like updates about what's going on in the deep hidden space. So you can follow us on all of the social channels for that, because that just helps you to kind of stay on top of all of the announcements that are coming out with all of the building that's going on. Absolutely. How much has the space progressed in the last couple of years? We, we saw quite a few. I'm sure um, the market has been crazy for each sectors individually as well. The NFT market, then mm -hmm. of course, spot retail mm -hmm. trading, institutional interest, all of that sort of took, took a dip in between. Now I think I think things are stabilizing a little bit. How has it looked for uh, deeper networks or projects? What sort of an effect did they have back then and has it improved in the last couple of years? Definitely. De I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, and this is something you pulled up recently about how the DeFi yeah. market is the same as the NFT market basically in terms of value mm -hmm. right now, which I think is really significant in in that, you know, we're still sort of in a bear market. We're kind of flirting with maybe turning things around, you know. Um, and what's amazing about that is that Deepin is not nearly as well known as NFTs in the larger crypto community and then just even in the mainstream culture. And yet it has the same value at this point in time, which just shows how much upside that there will be in this next bull run when people discover how much development has occurred already and the potential that it has to disrupt all of these incredible industries Everything. and apps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how do you see that playing out in 2024? Are there any big expectations? Uh, well, yeah, uh, we think there, there's certain, we know, we know as a matter of fact, as we've spoken to some of them, that there's a number of kind of big level kind of corporate players that are very interested in like actually using this technology. Like for a long time, they were like, hey, it's all money. You know, we'll let the banks kind of figure that stuff out. We don't need to have digital money inside of our systems. But now they're starting to see deep in specific and how it can really improve the inner workings inside their firms. That's that's enormous and amazing. We think that one of the most significant next steps that the industry needs to kind of go on, we're, we're, we're going to uh, try to kind of participate in, in, in leading this effort or at least bringing together anyone else that's trying to do so is is building some standards around it. Um, and I don't necessarily mean interoperability standards. I mean um, abstraction standards to where a lot of Web2 developers and the whole of kind of corporate America, corporate tech America is used to very specific web terminology in their development processes. And they're not at all used to you know yeah. crypto, blockchain, Web3 type terminology. And it scares them you know, for the most part, it does just because there's too much confusion. You can get into one rabbit hole and you go deep down it in order to figure out what's going on there, but you really don't know what's going on right next to you and, and, you know, to either side. And so we really think that there needs to be kind of abstracted standards where like take a, take a given use case, like say video transcoding and take all of the protocols that have built use cases that can do that and build standards on top of them so that a web two developer can just use a, a small set of functions 
with maybe some flags to 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 indicate exactly which network they want to use, or even not let it kind of use you know market uh, uh, competition to decide which one to use, um, or storage, or even you know AI. There's there's a very there's a growing number of projects that are either doing there's there's um, uh, markets for rental of the hardware that you would use for training. Uh, there's there's full on kind of AI on blockchain networks themselves. Yeah building that set of standards above it to where it just turns into a, a, a limited set of just functions on top of use cases, I think is a really important step for web two developers to, to not be afraid and just see, okay, wow, this is incredible. I can do this without having to learn all of the details about all these particular uh, 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 protocols and tokens before I can. I was thinking about That's that actually recently that the way that the part of the reason that NFTs took off so much was because people could interact with them, like artists and users. Mm -hmm. And right now, deep in the protocols have made a lot of progress individually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how do we make that last mile to get to the users to make them, you know, something that they can interact with and really understand the power there and the empowerment that these um, protocols provide? And that's really what we're talking about solving for. Right. The freeways have all been built. Now it's time to build like the on-ramps and the interchanges. Mm -hmm. You did summarize the entire developer sentiment, I think, in this particular sector that we're seeing. What is the entrepreneur sentiment at the moment? You guys do manage to speak quite a few entrepreneurs deep in uh, developers, entrepreneurs. To be honest, similar. It's really, it's really similar, especially like the, the, the content creators on say, I mean, YouTube is really the, the biggest platform where you, you, you have to use if you want to be a video content creator. Um, and a lot of them, especially as they get bigger, they start to kind of resent how much control and power that YouTube has. And they would very much like to have decentralized uh, uh, competitors to that. But they've tried all these new ones that have started up these little individual walled gardens that have started up to compete with them. But when you completely own a sector, a brand new little upstart isn't really going to disrupt it very much. We really need to have something that can have the same degree of network effect while also having a bunch of competition. At the, like if you think about the way that the web took over from AOL, it provided yeah. all of the functions and services that AOL could do, but in a whole bunch of different you know, front ends, like every different web page was distinct and different, riding on top of very, very few protocols. So you'd get the, the growing network effect of all of it, while still having the diversity of options and opinions of each different website that you might visit. We don't really have that right now. We tend to have like a protocol and then an application or maybe a few applications built on top of a protocol. But we really need a billion applications built on a very small base of protocols or, or kind of joiners of protocols so that we can get both of those things, the network effect and the diversity of, of, of approaches. Uh, so yeah, it, I, I think they know that that's, that's what's necessary. And so until they see that happening, they're not going to jump off of YouTube. Like often, sometimes they'll try something else, but they don't put their their energy and their focus into it. And so as a result, they don't push their audience to adopt this new thing. The audience sticks around on YouTube because it's what they're used to. So we need solutions that can kind of work just like YouTube, but aren't controlled yeah. by a single company where you get the shared space, you know, on the back end, you get the same kind of suggestion algorithms that's just as useful because there's just as many different p pieces of content that can be suggested to mm -hmm. you without being beholden to a single company. And they know that. So they're waiting. 
Isn't that the ultimate idea of Web3 as well, to not let the user know that they are, in fact, using Web3 or have transitioned from Web2 to Web3? I've seen so many people talk about it, but how do you guys visualize Web3 or how do you guys visualize the migration that would happen from Web2 to Web3 in, let's say, the near future? Let's hope the near future. Let's hope the near future, indeed. I think that the the thing to keep in mind is that there will be sort of bridges between Web 2 and Web 3 so that there will be these aspects of Web 2 that we continue to interact with because simply hosting something on a server makes it easier to access and that that's not necessarily something that needs to disappear as we move into the benefits of Web 3. That can still be an aspect of it. I think that you're right that it needs to be as easy to use as Web 2 is, that that, that the, the difference in user experience between, let's say, Web 1 and Web 2 is vast. And that, um, that Web 2 experience where everything is really slick and polished and beautiful and intuitive and easy to understand and easy to use, that's really necessary mm -hmm. for Web 3 to upgrade its user experience to the point, to that point for, for a major kind of... Um, mainstream audience to be able to onboard. I don't think it's reasonable to say that they won't know that they're in Web3 because there are some sort of fundamental aspects that are going to need to be solved for things like key management, yeah. wallet management, those kinds of issues. And they, they, would, they would have to know that they're doing that in order for it to work properly for them. That said, I think that the way that a lot of those things are handled currently aren't at that web two ease of use level yet for there to be that really kind of like mass mainstream adoption and that we're going to need to see some of those problems ha have solutions that are are more more easy to use more user-friendly more trustworthy more reliable less scary you know right. <laughs> less scary i think i think part of the problem right now is the ones that do try to make it as easy to use as web two, they're able to pull that off, but they sacrifice all the benefits of like, if you just, if you have a hosted wallet where you use a, a username and a password, and if you forget your password, you can click the forget password button and it'll get recovered. That exists within web three for wallets and stuff like that, but, but really doing so, two, right? right, exactly. Yeah. Doing so you lose control of your keys and all the, all the hardcores are like, two. exactly. No, you don't, you know, don't hold your keys. You don't have your crypto kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's not it. And so there's something in between where going to the far extreme of hold your own keys, use a hardware wallet. Yes. There's an enormous number of benefits to that, but there's a very large sector of the market that just isn't going to do that. Just isn't going to do that. So there needs to be some way that there can be kind of centralized holding of keys that has an increased degree of trust. We've talked about, you know, some sort of tools that give you the, that give individual users the ability to audit their balance uh, yeah. uh, while also protecting their privacy. Maybe they wouldn't be able to recover it if the company disappears and that would be what you're sacrificing by storing it there because that might not really be possible. But we need something along that line if we're going to pull along kind of the next billion people, I think. Absolutely. This reminds me of my mom not getting on social media applications because she thinks she'll not be able to remember the password to all of them. So <laughs> we did suggest a password manager. Maybe that's something that could be the yeah. next billion dollar idea for the Web3 space. That's uh, but um, talking about development, user interface, I think we have to talk about the metaverse, right? That as a concept, how far are we? Have we even moved 
ahead in terms of development mainstream i think we're, we're still far from mainstream adoption of the metaverse but Definitely. what is the ultimate idea and how far are we from that uh, i i assume you've read the book snow crash i unfortunately haven't you haven't you would love it you would absolutely love it i th i think that that's the inception of the term uh metaverse um it, it was written before the web existed and it was this just brilliant seeing of the future of what's to come and it everyone kind of connects to each other through this metaverse thing you put on these little goggles and stuff like that but what was different about it from what we have today is there was a single metaverse and the problem is this is a popular idea and so every company wants to own it and wants to build their own version and in fact the biggest social media platform in the world changed their name so they could pretend to own it um and so i think what's probably most especially because if you one of the aspects that was interesting in that is that there's pop there there's there's valuable property within the metaverse because it is even though it's a digital space it's still a limited space um and i think that's necessary in order for people to get attached to things but the only way there would be valuable property is if it is limited and if anyone can spin up their own and then you spin up your own and you end up being the only person in it you both lose the network effect and you lose the valuable property aspect and so i think one of the most important parts is again again interoperability again so that um when someone joins the metaverse they're joining the metaverse that everyone else is in You're, you end up with the biggest network effect as a result you know however much success meta has had and there's a lot of ways to say that they've had a lot because they sell a lot of hardware etc but they don't have a lot of active daily users and i think one of the most significant things that could change that is if they were open to standards to where the space itself was joined with all the other meta spaces and creative solutions for how to how to make that happen would would, would be an important kind of next step but honestly i've been pretty impressed I haven't followed all of the space at all, but I've just recently seen an update on what Meta has been doing. And after having kind of written them off as just, boy, they're they're just failing. It's insane how much money they're spending on this, and yet they're totally failing. They're starting to nail it. Like, they're starting, like, especially augmented reality kind of uh, aspects of it and stuff like that. I saw someone doing, like, lightsaber fighting in the park and stuff like that. And it's just like when you can get people to do the things that they – no one likes to work out. Well, some people do, but most people don't like to work out. If you can – tie that concept in with kind of a game and and you know get some physical exercise and also be you know you know lightsaber fighting with with darth vader kind of thing i think that's something that can really bring in a whole lot of people uh and mm -hmm. and really and especially as we kind of see ai enter that seeing the merging of those two things where you have really creative visually visual you know visually distinct spaces and stuff like that inside of this virtual thing where you can connect with anyone around the world I think it's going to be incredibly powerful, and I, I think it will ultimately be successful. I have no idea at what timeline, though. I, I think you covered it really well. I think that the interesting thing that that um, you know, blockchain and DPIN also provides to the metaverse is the concept of ownership, and mm -hmm. and if you combine the ownership with the interoperability that Devin's talking about, that really opens the door to interesting things. You know, where instead of just buying whatever kind of like outfit or weapon inside of a certain game that you can then take that with you across different spaces that, that changes, would be really powerful that changes the the economics and just kind of the the gameplay itself of how you show up in different environments and i think that 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 would that be a fantastic really use case for nfts that actually makes sense you know yeah.
really, really interesting. So, talking about use cases, what do you think you, of course, Devin mentioned a few use cases that can be put uh, to the concept of the metaverse. Can you talk about maybe a few more of the metaverse as well as deepen networks, maybe? Oh, well, start with deepen. Honestly, everything we do on the web, there has That's now right. been at least one, if not multiple protocols that serve the actual services involved, which is enormous, obviously, you know, two or 3 billion websites, 5 billion users could all dramatically increase or improve the way that they use the web uh, as those applications integrate. And, and what's really cool about this is this is definitely a way that that Web3 could be integrated where the user doesn't know. Because there's a whole lot of it where you don't need to be spending money. The, 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 the application provider itself is spending money because they're, you know, something else involved in, is bringing in the money. So, like, they could improve their the way that their services work. They can improve the efficiency, the trustworthiness, et cetera, behind the scenes without end users needing to see that. And so Web2 developers having the ability to do that very easily, I think, is going to be an enormous uh, uh, power up as soon as that that starts to happen. As far as the metaverse, oh boy, it uh, also kind of endless. Um, being able to explore under the ocean without actually putting yourself in the danger of doing so, you know, like have a, a, a submersible robot that is represented by a person kind of thing so they feel like they're looking around or skydive if you're actually afraid of, you know, a lot of, a lot of different um, fears could be defeated. There's a lot of medical applications for it. Uh, the creative applications for it are just really, really exciting. You could explore being inside of a movie rather than watching it. Um, I just saw a really cool thing where um, uh, someone's watching a, a basketball game and instead of watching it on a flat TV, it literally kind of turns into this 3D court right in front of the TV and they can watch the players running around in the court and it's happening live because there's 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 enough sensors involved. It, it knows where everyone is. AI's got involved in trying to figure out where everything is. Mm -hmm. It's incredible the, 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 the cool applications of this stuff that are coming out. Absolutely. Um, talking about emerging tech, uh, I think there was a phase when we saw the NFT craze and very recently the AI boom. I think all of the AI stocks, AI cryptocurrencies skyrocketed. What do you think, which sector rather, do you think will see a similar boom in the coming year? Of course, this is not going to be a prediction, but just maybe guesses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, the obvious answer for us is Deepin, and that's not just because we are advocating for this space, it's because it's a space whose time has come. There is increasing discussion of it on Twitter, you really see a lot of people talking about it, and, the, and it's because, as we've been talking about, the potential for it to um, remake the entire web exists, and it is it is bringing so much increased um, efficiency, transparency, um, ability to to do new and important things that that previous versions have not been able to accomplish. That it's it's one of those things that it feels like it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not necessarily inevitable because it takes work to get there. We need builders to continue building out these protocols and then to, to uh, other builders to take those protocols and bundle them up and, and build them into applications that are beautiful and fun to use. And we, of course, also need legislators and regulators to come together to make paths that are clear for all of us because the 
the real stopping point right now is that one of the things that makes these networks so robust and powerful and efficient and need less resources and yet have so much higher performance is that the users themselves become part of providing the same services that they are enjoying, right? So um, that could be bandwidth, that could be file storage, that could be any of the basic resources that I have and use and interact with every day. I could not only become a con continue to be a consumer of them as I am now, but I could also be a resource provider. And until and unless there is regulatory clarity that makes that something that isn't um, a potential threat to my well-being, you know, as a person in the world, either facing fines or jail time or, or what have you, uh, uh, end users won't uh, decide to to do that, right? They wouldn't take that risk on. It's the equivalent of, I don't know, Napster and file sharing or something <laughs> like that in the early 90s, right? Like the, the, the feeling of risk around that right now. Right. And so... I think that's what will what is really needed eminently for us to make that leap from kind of the exploration phase that we're in right now of, of just kind of proving what's possible to taking it to its um, full implementation where it's gone mainstream and people are using it day in and day out. Because the part of the challenge is just that all of these networks have tokens and there's been a few where the token is is not really necessary. It's just tacked on for someone to raise funds. But I would say that's 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 a minority. The the majority of them, it's a technical component that is necessary in order for it to actually work with the efficiency or with the trust or whatever else it's 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 adding to the whole equation. Um, and so there's this perception that if there's a token involved, then it it has to have been a a, a security or a fundraising mechanism, um, and that it has to have something to do with um, uh, financial services. And it's kind of like, um, we often use the analogy of like, if you were to, uh, 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 pay for like, uh, stock photos and stuff like that, a lot of them, rather than just paying in dollars, you use your dollars with a debit card to pay for points. And then you use those points to buy the actual stock photos or stock video or anything else like that. Those aren't securities. Those aren't financial services. No, no one would assume they are. It'd be absurd to to, to say so. Um, but mm -hmm. as soon as you do the same thing with a token that, in fact, is better than those points, it's more trustworthy. It's more universal. So you could take it to a different site that offers the same kind of service. Um, as soon as you do that, it brings up all kinds of previously existing laws that are being assumed to apply to this kind of stuff and really weaken the whole process. And as a result, in the United States, if someone... Uh, uh, was running a service that uses one of these tokens, the, the mm -hmm. easiest on-ramp they could they could employ is selling the users to come to their website the tokens they need in order to use the service, but they're not legally allowed to. Absolutely yeah. absurd. They have to send people off to an exchange, and now people need to learn how an exchange works, and that's a very intimidating thing. If you don't know what you're doing, you're afraid you're going to lose your shirt, and it's not going to work out, and you're going to, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So that is a major hurdle because both the rest of the world as far as Web3 developers, well, not the rest of the world, but enormous parts of the world as far as Web3 developers, and the whole of Web2 is able to do that, whereas in the US, Web3 developers are not. So it's a major disadvantage 
yeah. slash kind of uh, speed bump to adoption that really needs to be overcome. And I think good legislation mm -hmm. from people that understand this stuff and understand how much it can level up our economy and the tr and our ability to trust technology could be enormous. And we want to lead on this. We really think that we should. You guys already addressed the elephant in the room. I was about to ask you guys, I think that was my next question. What do you think the current regulatory landscape looks like, not just in the US, but globally? Which geographies yeah. are you guys most hopeful about? And uh, I think, yeah, add uh, on well, to the well, question. I, I couldn't say specifically which ones we're excited about. I know large portions of the world that are that have been wise enough to see the real power of this and see that the United States is not handling it well are taking advantage of that. They're creating regulatory uh, sandboxes. They're 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 specifically saying this is the way we, we want this to be adopted in this country and so we're going to assume that these kind of laws that other countries would assume apply don't apply we're just going to make room for it uh because in the u.s we got very we got kind of lucky with the web um someone you know wrote something called section 230 that described how uh, platforms that host user-generated content can't be held liable for that user-generated content and the rest of the world went the other direction. And because they went the other direction and we went this direction, we own the entire web, which is an enormous, it's honestly a big portion of our of our GDP. You know, just the 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 five big companies that kind of run the web are as valuable about as much as the entire GDP of Europe, which is absolutely mm -hmm. stunning. And the problem with that is uh, it's given US, a lot of U.S. lawmakers the opinion that we're always going to control the tech sector and we're always going to control the web. And so they can have this kind of antagonistic attitude toward Web3 or assume every story about scams actually represents the entire industry and feel like they don't really need to welcome it here. They can really put the shackles on it and it'll have to conform. But the truth is... A, a, a Web3 developer doesn't have much infrastructure they need to bring with them. They just need to bring their laptop and they can go to an island in the Caribbean, to anywhere in South America, to anywhere in, 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 in East Asia, you know, across Europe. There's a whole bunch of different spaces that are, are saying, we want you. We want to welcome you here. And so far, the U.S. is saying the opposite. Fortunately, we've had some really, really strong voices for Bitcoin uh, that have been doing, that have been saying incredible things and pushing pushing forward in the U.S. Um, and uh, Patrick McHenry is a, is a is a fantastic uh, ally, uh, and he's currently the uh, chair of the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, Tom Emmer is another uh, fantastic ally, and he's I think he's the um, the maybe the, no. the whip yeah 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 um so they're they're in positions of of leadership um and they're really trying to kind of push these things forward there's a great act that's being considered right now fit 21 act um it, it might not make it for the next year or so because of the 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 elections and and kind of the recent hostility and and the claims that the the the, the recent um attack by hamas was was funded by bitcoin but um there's been that was a, a terrible report, really poorly put together. And there's been an enormous number of people that have come out and really expressed very clearly why it was wrong. And let's be honest, a lot more of it is coming through dollars and no one's talking about banning dollars. Uh, we need to take mm -hmm. responsibility for kind of what's what uh, and really pay attention to the, the the beneficial side of this technology. And and that voice is starting to, to resonate a lot more, thank goodness. I would just add that in the UK, they did pass comprehen 
pretty comprehensive legislation recently for the crypto space. And that has been attracting a lot of companies to move into that space. A16Z, which is a large VC firm, uh, very influential, has recently opened a branch there in response to that, you know, motivated essentially by that legislation. And so um, the, the interesting kind of part of this, though, is the kind of short-term versus long-term thinking, because the yeah. benefit to the UK's legislation is that there is a very clear path that has been identified and made into law. The downside is that that clear path could be argued that it's rather onerous and that the restrictions that they have put on the industry will ultimately hamper its success. Now, yeah. Short term, people are attracted to it because, well, at least at least we have clarity. At least there's clarity. At right. least you're not facing, you know, like we are here, the SEC coming after you in five years, and then you know being in this very difficult lawsuit kind of a situation. But the downside is, well, will that will those onerous um, regulations? things like, you know, kind of excessive um, AML and anti-money laundering and know your customer uh, kind of requirements and, and some other things, will those ultimately prevent some of these networks from being able to operate in the most efficient way without, you know, th there's, there's an argument that they could operate without the, that kind of regulation and yet still be safe, right? right? Mm -hmm. And and, right. Um, Especially because the technology itself tends to take care of the things that those rules are trying to take care of. Exactly. And so if those rules become this uh, cumbersome sort of um, regular, you know, that you have to have this enormous aspect of your business and an enormous amount of your business resources devoted to compliance, then are you not able to compete in the same way globally that you would if, if you didn't have the same kind of requirements? And so the hope really here in the U.S. is that we will get the regulation right and that we will be able to sort of find that balance between creating law that is protecting consumers, that is making these tools, you know, safe to use, and yet also isn't causing such an enormous compliance burden that companies mm -hmm. that are getting into the space aren't able to really compete globally. Let me just add that, um, like, it's easy to say, well, it's just a burden, get over it, you know, everyone has to deal with rules and stuff like right. that. But there's some versions of this where it's it's so onerous that it actually can't function. Um, the, recently, the Treasury suggested some, some rulemaking. They put out, this is how we think this should all be interpreted and asked the industry for comment. And one of the particular rules was that when it comes to digital services, in order to account for how, how the tokens that you use at those services and what the tax implications of them might be, you have to know three things. The cost that you got the token for when you bought it, the current market price of the token when you're using it, and then most most important and most difficult is the fair market value of the service that you're getting so that you can know whether you're getting any kind of a discount because that discount is considered a capital gain. That's kind mm -hmm. of absurd place now for a lot of different things that might be it's hard but at least reasonable because there right. are currently existing like, right, entities we'll this is exactly like you can automate it right right mm -hmm. but in some cases like the one that i like to use is is arweave for the very first time in history there is a place where you can spend put a one-time fee and a digital network decentralized around the world hundreds of nodes hold, holding full copies of the data that you're storing will hold it mm -hmm. forever at least 200 years, and the theory is that that actually kind of becomes forever. There's no current 
analog to that in web two. So how would I find the fair market value of that? Which means I'm out of compliance with tax law just in order to use it. Now this hasn't yeah. actually been implemented. We amongst, there was hundreds there was of thousands of comments, of I think. comments right. on this rulemaking when they called for public comments. There was somewhere between 120,000 and 150,000, which is like- Fantastic. Way, way more than something like this. <laughs> get so it was really wonderful to see the crypto community rally and come together on a short time frame to yeah. stand up for something that's it really was important. especially short too um, yeah. but most of them were making the argument about the onerous compliance issue and were focused on the financial services and as far as we but know we made we sure were, we made the point we who were knows the if others did but we made the point of that this could make it so that some of these networks simply cannot operate legally and right. that's a really and important that. thing for legislators to understand yeah. because the the needs of DPIN are are different than the needs of the financial services applications. And we don't want to be throwing the baby out with the bathwater exactly. when they are, you know, creating this kind of legislation. Absolutely. Before we wrap it up, uh, what are your final thoughts on how the sector is going to progress in the Oof. coming year? Final thoughts how we're going to progress in the next year. So, um, just yeah, yeah. Uh, I, well, like I said, um, standards, I think it's going to be a really important part of it. Um, we're going to start a process of, of, of bringing together, like Amy's been interviewing a lot of different founders in the, in the, in the sector. So we're going to be reaching out to them and having little conversations about what can, what kind of parts of your, of your uh, protocol can be kind of standardized amongst each other. We think that's going to be a part of it. Um, I, we definitely see evidence that some of kind of corporate America and technology America are going to be at least experimenting with, if not fully adopting stuff it was unfortunate that when that happened in past in the recent years all they really meant was putting out nft and collectible stuff because they were burned by how unexciting that was and how that didn't really kind of take off the way that they wanted um, but at least they got their toes in the water we've had some conversations with really big companies that you kind of wouldn't expect to get into this because they have the potential to be most uh 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 displaced by it you know and they so they, they kind of know they could either be the aol or they could be you know go on to the web and join this movement and fortunately a whole lot of them are actually doing exactly that so i'm excited about that and i i do think we have a bull run coming and i do think that deep is going to be a big player in it yeah i i second that absolutely you know there have there are these sort of natural cycles to uh the crypto sector and we are certainly coming up on the next we are due for a bull run and that will be a really exciting time to have deepin get this you know attention that it has been um it we've just sort of been building in quiet which is exciting yeah. because there's so much to discover now mm -hmm. um and to to have it to have people discover it is going to be a sight to see Absolutely. This has been a really great chat and I really don't want to wrap this episode up, but I'm hopeful that we'll see you guys on our show really soon. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today, guys, Amy and Devon, the dynamic duo behind Web3 Working Group.